All right, welcome to the ACC Basketball Port Report, not Port Report, ACC Basketball Report. Uh, this is episode number, I don't know, 90, I believe, something like that. Uh, really good show for you guys tonight. Just got off the phone with Connor Hope, Brian Ralph, uh, the duo that runs the very, very informative uh, Bustin' Brackets podcast. <clears throat> It was a pleasure to have both of them on. Somehow, I've gone almost 90 episodes without having Connor Hope on on the podcast. He is a, a plethora of knowledge as far as West Coast hoops goes. Um, you know, he's one of the guys that 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 I work with in the Rockin' 25 each week. Um, I've been on his podcast multiple times, so it was nice to finally get to uh, get to get to repay that and, and bring him on and hear about some teams that are that are local to him as far as uh, Gonzaga, uh, San Diego State, Utah State, uh, and some other teams that we may have mentioned uh, over the course of the show. Uh, before we get started tonight, I just want to give a shout out to uh, um, oh goodness Jay uh, Jay the Lobo fan at Lobosauce underscore seven seven seven. A kid that I really like, that I work with kind of shoulder to shoulder at Bustin Brackets, he's also a contributor there, um, had a situation arise with a friend of the family where I believe a friend of his, their mother, had a, a brain aneurysm, which she was fortunate enough to survive, um, and, and they've set up a GoFundMe uh, for any contributions, any help that we can offer. And I felt compelled uh, to make a donation myself because, you know, the, the college, the CBB Twitter, uh, you know, neighborhood, I guess was what you call it. Uh, I received an outpouring of support uh, about 18 months ago when, uh, when my pup, uh, Tucker, who was two and a half years old, uh, contracted to lung cancer. And the guys on Twitter that I, I've never met, um, you know, we are... You know, we, we interact frequently, but most of us have never met. And the outpouring of support that I received uh, in that situation enabled me to, you know, to pay for meds, to pay for biopsies, to pay for procedures, to, to extend his life as far as I could. And I was very grateful for, for that, um, you know, people that I don't know donating money. So I would encourage you to jump on Twitter and go to at Lobosauce underscore 777. There is a post about it on his page and, you know, just read the story and, and decide if it's, uh, if it's cause you want to get involved and, and I certainly encourage you to do so. Um, <clears throat> today on the program, we're going to do the same thing that we've done, uh, in recent weeks with Eric Haslam, uh, Rocco Miller. We did the same thing with, with Connor and Brian tonight. We're going to go nationwide for, you know, six to eight questions, cover everything that's out there that, that may be pertinent. And then we're going to, you know, drill down inside the ACC and, and get some thoughts on, you know, the ACC going five wide, whether or not we trust um, any of these teams basically heading into the, uh, the NCAA tournament, um, which teams we may trust the most. And, you know, we kind of dabble in some wagering a little bit. So uh, I'm not going to waste your time on an intro too long. I hope you guys really enjoy it. I thank you guys for joining me. And this is Brian Roth and Connor Hope of Bustin' Brackets. This is Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report. I have two very special guests with me today. The Busting Brackets podcast host, Brian Roth and Connor Hope, both join me today as we go three wide. I've had Brian on before, but I believe this is the first time I've had Connor on. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well, thanks for having us on. Yeah, appreciate it. So, 
you know, I've had I've been on your guys' podcast a couple times. This is the first time I've had both of you guys on mine. Uh, like I said, I've had B on a couple times. Connor, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of those of people in my audience that may not know who you are? Right. So uh, I'm Connor Hope. I am the co-host for the Busting Brackets podcast with Brian. Um, focus mainly on West Coast basketball. Uh, living out in California, so uh, just watching Pac-12 before dark uh, for me, and um, and and loving every bit bit of it. Yeah, Connor is Connor's my go-to guy as, as well as Eli for West Coast uh, West Coast information on some teams that definitely play after I go to bed every night. So. What we're going to do is we're going to start out with the same way we've done with Rocco, the same way we've done with Eric in recent weeks. We're going to go nationwide, and then we're going to drill down a little bit into the ACC. Uh, First thing I want to hit on is uh, maybe the hottest team in the nation, the Creighton Blue Jays. They win a share of the Big East Conference. Um, We'll be the number one seed in the Big East Tournament. I'll go with Brian first. I'm kind of hesitant. I'm always hesitant to depend on jump shot shooting teams. I think Creighton certainly fits that that moniker. Are, are, are these Blue Jays different from teams we've seen in the past, such as like Marquette, for instance, or maybe Arizona State, things like teams like that that we've seen fail in a tournament type setting in recent years? I think so from the standpoint of this surge they've been on the last two months, really, that has put them to the point where they were Big East co-champions and got the one seed in the tournament. Is because they elevated their point on the defensive end too. Mm-hmm. Offensively, you know they got five or six guys that can get you, um, and and that's always going to be the case. It has been the case with them since Kevin Garner has been the coach. Really, really permanent oriented, jump shot shooting uh, centric, as you mentioned. But this is the first year where they've really sort of upped the ante defensively, and Tyson Alexander, uh, their star guard, is a big part of that. Uh, so that that to me is the difference for them as opposed to some of the Creighton teams or similar teams from past years. The big thing for them, though, is going to be the health of Marcus Agarowski mm-hmm. going into the NCAA tournament here. He suffered a, a knee injury in Creighton's last game against Seton Hall, which they won in blowout fashion. Uh, and now today it ended up being a meniscus injury. He's doubtful for at least the first game of the Big East tournament. Um, you know, it remains to be seen how serious it is. They prayed not leaning on too much in terms of uh, transparency of what exactly the injury is other than something to his meniscus. Mm-hmm. I think they're hopeful he can be back and natural they'll be cautious with him leading up to the NCAA tournament because they need him fully healthy for that. And he is kind of the engine that makes their offense go or at least play at the level they've been playing at recently. So, long answer, but to your question, their defense makes them a little bit different, but they need to have Zagorowski fully healthy for them to play up to the seed they're probably going to get. Connor, anything to add to that? No, I mean, I think he's right on track. I, uh, you know, for this team, really, when it comes to jump shot reliant teams, uh, in order to win games in the NCAA tournament, you still have to have that guy in the middle who can bang down low mm-hmm. with the bigs that they're going to run into. And I don't think Christian Bishop is that guy. <laughs> um, he's kind of been their main interior option, if you will, in terms of defensively and you know, outside of him, they have what Kelvin Jones at six eleven, who mm-hmm. who um, you know hasn't hasn't been reliable. Plays what ten minutes a game. So when it comes down to it, unless they're getting thirteen to fifteen three point shots um, made from their perimeter guys, a team like a Kansas 
or even a Baylor who has that guy inside that can cause some trouble uh, will, will be an issue for this Creighton team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but they're they're not set to run into to one of those teams until you get to like an Elite Eight matchup, maybe Sweet Sixteen. Uh, if they get Duke and Vernon Carey in the region, so there's a concern, as Connor mentioned, that might keep them from you know making the Final Four national championship game. Um, but if you're Creighton, getting to the Elite Eight is still a phenomenal season. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, Christian Bishop, six seven, two hundred five, not great on the defensive glass. More of kind of an offensive glass eater. Um, I am wary about this team, but. Also, things that have, have worried me in the past, like with Marquette, for instance, I, I keep going to this well. It was, I mean, the Housers were there, sure they were great, but Marcus Howard is so ball-dominant, and it's kind of all about him. I mean, if you, if you can stop him in any way, then you can kind of beat Marquette. The difference with this Creighton team is they got four guys that can just bomb from outside, and you know, you're going to have to shut down all four because if any of them get hot, they can lead this team to victory. Is that kind of what you guys are thinking? Yeah, they're they're different in the fact that you know they have a couple guys who can be the guy, mm-hmm. uh, led by Alexander and Zagorowski, and that sort of helped them this year, uh, especially these last two months. As I as I mentioned previously, when they've gotten into some of those these bigger matchups they played, where if one guy struggles, there's usually another guy or two other guys that are there to pick up the slack. Um, we'll go we'll go out to the West Coast, which is uh, Connor's bread and butter. Uh, you know, I love this Gonzaga team. I've always I've been a fan of these guys since Dan Monson was their coach and started this whole, you know, Gonzaga powerhouse tradition. This season, um, maybe not as many well-known players as in seasons past, but Corey Kispert is a guy that I can watch shoot the ball from the short corner all day long. Can the Bulldogs finally win the title this year, Connor? You know, I think this team is set up to make a deep run. Um, as you said, Corey Kispert is, in my opinion their most important player for this team. He seems to be the the guy that they go to whenever they need a clutch shot, whenever they need some momentum shift. Um, he's the guy that seems to get the, have the ball in his hands taking those shots. My only issue is, and, and but Gonzaga fans will kind of throw the fact that they have six players averaging double-digit scoring um, with a seventh player, mm-hmm. Andrew Timmy, averaging nine and a half points a game. But that's all they have. So you have seven a seven-player rotation, really, for a Gonzaga team that usually runs eight deep, um, at least. And so they're, they tend to, you know, struggle early, um, especially in WCC play. They've struggled early and have kind of taken off in the second half, uh, very similar to actually quite a few teams this season um, that are at the top of the rankings. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen when they run into a team uh, like a Florida State deeper in the, you know, in the second weekend that have eight or nine guys that they can run out on the floor and that can bang down low with Philip Petrusev and Killian Tilly. Um, but this Zags team's offense is incredibly good, uh, and their defense has also been improving. So do I think that they could win the national title? Yes. Do I have as much confidence as they've had in Zags teams in the past? Uh, not so much just because they are on a shorter rotation uh, and their defense isn't quite up to snuff compared to the past four or five years. Brian, in, in, a, in a year such as this where there's so many inconsistent teams and maybe not outside of Kansas, not a very, 
a historically elite team, I guess, would be the best way to say that. Mm-hmm. Does does a short bench worry you about the Gonzaga Bulldogs? Yes, um, especially if one of those bigs get in foul trouble. But again, <clears> you're going to look at every team, even at, at the top, and you can include Kansas in there too, that's going to have some sort of major flaw, right? It's, you can look at any one of these teams and say, well, if they get upset early, earlier than they should, X is the reason why. Uh, and Gonzaga is it's just the short bench. Uh, whether it comes back to bite them more than some of those other weaknesses teams have, we'll see. I think some of that, as Connor mentioned, will depend on matchups. But uh, if they are to lose early, it's going to be because uh, somebody gets in foul trouble and they just can't replace them. I think uh, one thing I specifically want to touch on, I'm going to go back to Connor for this, is I bet if I asked 85% of casual fans on the East Coast <clears throat> who the starting backcourt was, for the number two team in the nation, they couldn't tell me. I don't think they could tell me both, and I don't know if many of them could tell me either one. So, Connor, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ryan Woolridge and Joel Ayayi? Yeah, so Gonzaga's backcourt has has been the case for pretty much every season over the last six years. It's fueled by, uh, well, fueled by international player in Joel Ayayi and two grad transfers in Admon Gilder. And Ryan Woolridge, Admon Gilder might be a little bit more known than the other two because he has played in a at a high major team at Texas A and M. Um, but Ryan Woolridge is probably the best defend, perimeter defender Gonzaga has had since Gary Bell uh, during their first uh, season at number one in the nation. Um, Admon Gilder it has been playing incredibly well off the bench in WCC play, and Joel Ayai might be the best. Uh, NBA prospect in that backcourt. Um, so their backcourt is pretty solid. They have, however, struggled against longer, more athletic backcourts. And there's not many of them in the WCC, but against teams like BYU, uh, San Francisco, and even early on against Santa Clara and Pepperdine, uh, that, that team, they, those backcourt players really struggled, especially on defense against good one-on-one offensive perimeter options, uh, like a Colby Ross out of Pepperdine, like a Jake Toulson out of BYU. Guys who can break down a defender and get to the rim have really given the Zags some trouble. Um, and so you should watch this backcourt, but the backcourt's not going to be the reason why they win these games. They really have to make this a game about winning in the paint, uh, which will open up the perimeter for their backcourt. Connor, I heard you say on your podcast uh, last week, I believe, that uh, you think Drew Timmy may be the key to postseason uh, success for this Gonzaga team. You know, a lot of casual fans will look at Philip Petrusev's numbers and say that he's he's the key guy. What is it about Timmy that that leads you to believe that he's he's the key for for this team, maybe making a championship run? Yeah, for Timmy, it is really all about stepping in when Petrusev or especially Tilly and Tilly, have to come off the court. Uh, Tilly has not had the best best health over the past couple of years, and so whether he's on a minutes restriction in early games or comes off with, with, an, with ankle discomfort, um, Timmy, over the past couple of weeks, especially with Tilly being absent for a number of games, has stepped up, been a solid rebounder, um, been perhaps one of their best interior offensive options. I know Petrusev is scoring a, lot, a ton of points, but if Timmy can get to the rim, uh, he's been pretty good 
he needs to avoid his jump shot because, as it was proven in a few games this year, allowing him to shoot jumpers is a really good defensive option against the Zags. Um, but he's he's a solid. He, he I, I don't want to compare him to Shemek Karnowski of years past, where you know Karnowski was was much bigger mm-hmm. and a much you know bigger load to handle. But people joke, Timmy Timmy has somewhat of a point guard mentality. He can pass the ball out of the post really well. Um, and so that coupled with the ability to to get to the rim and, and, and make shots um, makes him a, you know, a very solid seventh option. And when t- Timmy is the seventh option and backing up two of the better forwards in the country, um, you know, they're going to need him because... Uh, whether it's foul trouble or, or injuries or something like that, they really only have two big men uh, outside of Timmy. And so they don't, they don't have that backup option unless they want to go to Kispert playing that power forward position, mm-hmm. um, which has worked in the past against smaller teams. Uh, but when you're going up against the big boys, having a six foot seven small forward who shoots a lot of dump, jump shots, um, being your, power forward in, in in some cases is not necessarily something you want against every team. <laughs> All right, we're going to bring it back to, I think, one of the more concerning uh, issues surrounding the weekend of basketball. I mean, we did have some injuries that kind of popped up and, and some things of that nature. DJ Jeffries was announced to, to be out for the rest of the season last week. We talked about that with Rocco. Uh, something that came about last weekend was Ashton Hagen's was not able to play in Kentucky's game last week. Kentucky predictably looked discombobulated, to say the least. Uh, Calipari has said that Hagens will be available for the SEC tournament, I believe, or that he was speculating that he would be. I haven't seen anything today. Brian, what are your thoughts on Kentucky and, and the possibility of the Wildcats moving on without him for a game or two anyway? And and are you concerned long-term about their their tournament capabilities you know, if there's is some kind of issue with him, uh, without him, uh, certainly because that's uh, already a thin backward at Kentucky. If you take another guy out, um, you're not going to have a whole lot of depth back back there. We mentioned that with Gonzaga, um, and he's their best perimeter defender. And so you take him away mm-hmm. for any extended period of time, and that's obviously going to hurt your team. Now, from from what Calipari says, it sounds like he's going to come back, and assuming he comes back. The SC tournament at some point. Um, I think he'll, you know, they've already played 30 some odd games together, so missing one and then him coming right back in, or two and him coming right back in, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on them. It, the impact of, uh, of him being out would be if he misses the NCAA tournament and they're sitting there as a four or five seed and gets stuck with uh, a really good mid major team uh, that's probably going to be perimeter oriented because the majors tend to have just smaller guys the way recruiting works. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the concern. But if he comes back at any point in the SEC tournament, Kentucky is going to be fine. Uh, yeah, Emmanuel quickly kind of came to this program as a point guard and you know kind of transformed himself to playing alongside Hagens and, and played so well in that spot that kind of turned himself into a potential SEC Player of the Year candidate. Not sure that's uh, it was ever really likely. He certainly played well. He should certainly shoot the ball. Um, 
but I, I don't like him sliding over to that one spot. I think he's more of a scorer's mentality. Juzang has shown flashes, I guess, but I'm not real sure how confident I am with him. Connor, you have any thoughts right. on the Wildcats? Yeah, I mean, obviously, people will immediately point to Hagen hasn't been the most efficient offensive player this year, but everything he doesn't have necessarily on the offensive end outside of uh, being their primary point guard, um, he gives you on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And so m- my issue with him missing is is how does that affect the, the Kentucky defense in the long run um, if he's missing for a game or two? Because this Kentucky team... Uh, has one of the better defenses in the SEC, mm-hmm. and uh, without him, they struggled. Um, so, look, I, it's his own personal issues. So, I, you know, and if Cal Perry believes that they can move forward without him, you know, we shouldn't really lose trust in him because obviously Cal Perry's done well in the NCAA tournament, um, in, in maybe even in worse situations, but. Uh, you know, I'd be I'd be worried about who would take that point guard position on offense because right now we're looking at who like Tyrese Maxey probably taking that mm-hmm. that uh that position and you know he's obviously hasn't been the primary point he's been playing more off of Higgins than anything else um, so I have my concerns uh, but the way that Kentucky's been playing lately I, I, I don't necessarily have my concerns if he were to miss those couple of games. Uh, to start the SEC tournament. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Hagen's, <laughs> under, you know, he's not going to kill you with a jump shot, but there's also something to be said for with a young, inexperienced team that's just kind of coming together this year. There's something to be said on the offensive end for a guy that can get you organized and, and put his teammates in position to succeed offensively without, you know, you don't have to score 20 a game to have a huge impact on the game. And if, you know, he's going to give you nine points, but he gives you 10 assists and, you know, only a turnover to then and, not to mention points in transition, opportunities in transition with with steals that he's going to provide as well on the defensive end. You know, I think he's he's invaluable, and you know, I would be fading this Kentucky team if if you know. Hopefully, he comes back in the SEC tournament. We can get a look at them and see if maybe this has any impact on him. I want to stay kind of in the Midwest and go to Michigan State, who I think is maybe playing some of the best ball in the country right now, playing up to their preseason ranking of number one in the country. Um, I've seen people, Brian, you just released your top 25 today, where I think you had them in the top six, I think. Um, Yeah, I had them five. Five, yeah. What are you you seeing with the Spartans, and how confident are you as far as uh, their capabilities in in the tournament? Well, they're winning. And nobody else at the top is really winning right now outside Mm -hmm. of Kansas State and Gonzaga, so... Uh, they they kind of rise up by default. But, I mean, what we've seen from them the last couple of games, couple of weeks, has been the fact that they're getting consistent secondary scoring from mm-hmm. guys like Rocket Watts, when call has stepped up. Uh, and me and Connor are talking about Michigan State a lot on the Buckets podcast, and, and that's been my thing with them all year. Because you know what Cassius Winston's going to do. David Tillman has been pretty rock solid for them as well, although he has been hit or miss in the points category. Uh, that's not necessarily his major role, although it's become that because nobody else has stepped up. They needed some other guys just to to be threats offensively because for most of this season, defenses have been able to focus almost all of their attention on Winston and not have to worry about anybody else hitting them. Their biggest wins of the season came at Seton Hall early on and at Maryland a couple weeks ago or last weekend. 
And in both of those games, Malik Hall scored double figures. He didn't miss a shot. Mm-hmm. And there's a correlation there. And Rocket Watts is playing his best basketball as well, one of their really good freshmen. That's been the reason why they've gone the surge. Um, and that's what they're going to have to do if they're going to make a long run through the Big Ten tournament and then through the NCAA tournament. The Winston's only going to take you so far, and I don't necessarily trust those guys, Watson Hall being so young, to keep playing like this every game. I think eventually they're going to slip up and eventually it's going to cost them. But I think their upside is certainly greater uh, than I thought it was three weeks ago. Connor, the, uh, the, the, I guess the, uh, the, the topic for the day kind of seems to be depth. And, you know, I think Michigan State is a little bit deeper than teams we've spoken of so far. But do you trust their depth with Malik Hall and Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham? Is that depth uh, of a quality that will lead to success in March, in your opinion? You know, I, I question it, and, and you, you know this. Brian and I have questioned it pretty much all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've really shown that, that that depth hasn't been much of an issue against some of, some of the best teams in the country. Um, and for me, it really comes down to the defensive effort that Xavier Tillman has put in over the last two to three weeks. Um, going up against some of the better bigs in the Big Ten um, and doing pretty well against them. You know, uh, Caleb Wesson was held to eight points in that run over Ohio State. Lamar Stevens was held to 20% from two-point range, uh, three of 19 from the field against them. Jalen Smith had a, had a, a pretty solid game uh, against them, but then his defensive effort against Luca Garza, who uh, is many people's pick to win player of the year, mainly because of his offensive effort um, in that second half, though, uh, Xavier Tillman's effort in that second half defensively was the reason why they were able to, to pull out the win against Iowa. So um, I, do, I do still have concerns, as I do with any team that has questionable depth, um, but the way that Tom Izzo's gotten this team to kind of get it together against some of the best teams in the country uh, has me a little bit less concerned about those depth issues than some other teams who uh, may still be showing it. I'm going to stay with you on the next question, Connor. We're going to go, we're going to talk about San Diego State. I think you and I are pretty much on the same page uh, as far as where they should fall in the, in the NCAA tournament. I'm of the opinion they have a better resume than Dayton. However, them losing in the uh, in the Mountain West uh, Conference Final to Utah State kind of clears the way for, for Dayton to be that fourth number one. Is Dayton a better option in your mind for that number one, or are we possibly looking at FSU if they happen to win um, the ACC tournament? Or out of those three teams, who is deserving of that number one spot? I think for me, when it comes to who's more deserving, Wins matter more than losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and San Diego State's wins, Florida State's wins are a hell of a lot better than Dayton's wins. Absolutely. So based purely on that, you know, Dayton, their two losses are, you know, two of the more um, forgivable losses, Colorado and uh, Kansas. But Both in overtime. They, <laughs> but... They haven't really beaten anybody. Their best win is St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. And that's a team that Gonzaga's handled really easily, a team that you know struggled early on in the season um, and even struggled in WCC play, uh, tying for third. So San Diego State with 
pretty big wins against Iowa, Creighton, uh, and BYU, um, for me, puts them ahead of Dayton. Uh, if Florida State wins out, wins the ACC tournament, you could, I could understand an argument for them because they'd probably have to get past Duke and either Virginia or Louisville to get there, uh, and they definitely have better wins than either of those two teams. Um, but I, I just don't see the wins there for Dayton right now, um, and I don't see them really having anyone in front of them that will get those wins that could push them into the number one seed line. Brian, you and I talked about San Diego State just a few weeks ago on this podcast. You were high on them now. Has anything changed for you? No, and I think they're better off as the two-seed in the West than the one-seed out East, mm-hmm. which is looking like what they were going to get. So I think if you're a San Diego State fan, it's fine. Um, there are some issues that have popped up with them, uh, particularly their slow starts, and I wrote about this uh, in my weekly Ralph report, uh, one of my biggest takeaways of the week, is that their past six games, including that Utah State game, but the five before that, they were either tied or trailing at halftime with much lesser teams. And they went on those second-half surges and everything was fine after that. But when you play against the caliber teams you're going to face from really the second round on in the NCAA tournament, you're not going to be able to do that against all of them because when you go and hit that second gear, the other team might already be in that second gear. Um, so that, for me, is the only thing to really be concerned with about San Diego State. They're still really good defensively. Malachi Planet is still one of the best players in the country. They just need to play a full 40-minute game. Um, I, I didn't prep you guys on this, but I'll ask a question. Second seed in the West is, we'll assume that that's where they end up. I'll, I'll, go, to, uh, I'll go to Brian first and then Connor. Give me a uh, potential 7 or 10 seed that could give San Diego State trouble in the second round. What type of teams are we looking at to where we might fade the Aztecs? Um, I think if you found a offensively driven team, that's one that could work. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. The, the teams that are slated in the seven to ten area currently uh, aren't great, with the mm-hmm. exception of maybe Utah State. But I don't, <laughs> they're not going to put Utah State in the same region as them. Um, you know, you can look at teams like that can get hot from three. Maybe, maybe a Providence, a team that could match them defensively uh, if they were to make some perimeter shots. Um, you know, maybe a St. Mary's if they were to make some perimeter shots, although me and Connor uh, have serious doubts on how good the Gales actually are. Um, it'll be interesting to see because I. If a team can get out on them early and get hot from three, you know, just sort of one of those, fluke, not necessarily fluky tournament things, but things that happen where one team plays mm-hmm. well and another team simply can't catch up. Um, that would be what I'll be looking for because those teams in that 7 to 10 range, at least right now, don't look to be all that uh, daunting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, and you know, I should have done a little bit more research before asking that question because everybody in that range – is, is not a team that's really going to light it up from three. I mean, LSU, but I don't think they're going to be that low. I mean, again, I, I don't know where these teams end up. But, um, Connor, do you have anybody in mind in that range that might give San Diego State trouble in the second round? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at Bracket Matrix right now. Um, and the seven seed that, you know, I, I think a team that can light it up from three could beat San Diego State. Also a team that kind of mucks up the game and, and requires San Diego State to kind of, score um is going to be another team you know 
that is going to give them issues. I, I think Virginia, if they fall to a seven seed, which I think they're higher than a seven seed now, um, but if they were to fall to a seven seed, could, could present a lot of issues because with their defense, um, San Diego State is going to need to put up a lot of points and be very efficient offensively, which isn't how they win games. Mm -hmm. And so you've got two defensive teams going up against each other, and I think that I have more faith right now in the consistency of Virginia's offense moving forward um, than I do in San Diego State's offense. I think when San Diego State's on, their offense is better, but as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, their first-half offense has been almost uh, pretty atrocious, to be honest. Um, and so they're going to need to score early against Virginia because, you know, coming back against Virginia is not an easy task. The other team that I'm looking at on the 10 line is Arizona State mm -hmm. because they make games mm -hmm. that are just hectic. Yep. And they don't allow you to really get set uh, They don't on defense. They don't really allow you to run your appropriate offense. Um, they just try and get, you know, these games that really are won almost by luck. Uh, more than anything else, getting those good looks that you can't really set up. And against a team like San Diego State that likes to run these set plays, I, I, I just I just don't I just think that that's going to be an issue. Um, I, I do think San Diego State's going to be favored against any seven to ten seed, but uh, those are the two teams on the seven and ten lines that I could see really giving them some issues uh, in that second round. Oh, if Michigan were to fall down to the seven line, I think that would pose problems as well. Um, but that would probably involve Michigan losing pretty early in the Big Ten tournament. They, they did not look good yesterday. I, it, no. Uh, I, I'm concerned because, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a common theme at this point. If Livers is out or doesn't have a good game, they look like hot garbage most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um. And by the way, I would rather see the Arizona State matchup with San Diego State than Virginia. I, God, that would that would be a, that's a that's a forty four to forty game that I don't want any part of in in a, in my March Madness. So, that's just what Virginia does. I know. Um, <laughs> Rolf, I go back to you. Uh, let's go to the Big Twelve real quick. I did uh, a couple wagering previews today, and you know, favorites in in the Big Ten, favorites in the ACC. And uh, the Pac-12, all plus money, somewhere between 250 and 350. Kansas in the Big 12 is minus 150 to win the Big 12 tournament. Um, you know, Baylor kind of stumbling into uh, you know in, into the tournament. West Virginia picks up a big win, but has been bad down the stretch. Texas Tech has been you know the model of inconsistency. Is it a foregone conclusion that the Jayhawks burn through this tournament, or do you see something else potentially happening? Um, I think they're pretty much a lock to get to the final. Okay. Um, I have Baylor winning because I, I think they'll rebound and sort of get back to play in the right way, and the bracket's going to fit up for them to where they can sort of have a game to kind of get their legs back underneath them. Um, because as you mentioned, nobody else is playing well, right? In the conference, it's Kansas and a bunch of teams that are really, really struggling. So Baylor has a game or two to sort of get their legs back underneath them, and then kind of rev up for a game against Kansas in the finals. Wonder it would be a hell of a game to watch, obviously. Mm -hmm. But given the way I think the last game ended that they played at Baylor, I think they might play with a little bit extra of extra urgency to win that game because. Right? 
Kansas has locked up the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. They can lose in the first round uh, to Iowa State or, or somebody and have it not really be an issue. Um, Baylor's going to have a little bit more to play for, I think, from a pride standpoint. And I think this would be more for them. Conference championships mean a lot to everybody. But when you win as many as Kansas does, and you have the one seed locked up, they may be missing a little bit of that edge. That would be the only scenario I would see in which Kansas wouldn't win. They're, they're a heavy favorite, than they should be. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that's that people may not have noticed or may not be well known about this Kansas team, and I don't know if it's still 100% accurate, but at one point within the past two weeks, they had better defensive efficiency numbers than any Virginia team has had in the past five years. So they're, they're really getting it done on the defensive end. These guys are a legit all-time defensive team. Um, Connor, anything that you see that might, you know, potentially happen in the Big 12 that might shock some people? No, I mean, I the way Baylor, you know, if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have probably picked Baylor to win the tournament, mm-hmm. just because I think that they're they're more versatile at every position uh, than Kansas is. Um, but Baylor's been struggling, and like you said, Kansas plays a very good defense, and, and the reason why you don't necessarily see that as much as you would see for a team like Virginia or. San Diego State um, or West Virginia is because it's not necessarily as unique as, as, as some of those defenses, and they don't slow the game down quite as much. You know, they still play a very slow game compared to other top teams, um, but they don't they don't slow it down quite to the level that a Virginia does, and so it doesn't appear as I, I don't want to use the term boring, but but ugly um, and boring. Uh, as some people would like, but they they play a very solid defense, and it's very tough to score against them. And so, um, I just I just don't see a team right now in the Big Twelve that's a hotter than Kansas and b better than them. So, I of all the uh, major conference tournaments, I think Kansas is the one where I have the most. Uh, confidence in my pick and my pick would be or big 12 is where I have the most confidence in my pick and my pick would be Kansas. Yeah. I think the, you know, they don't play, they don't play anything fancy with a, with a fancy name like the pack line or they don't, you know, they're not known for their two, three zone, like, like a Syracuse or something like that. The other thing is they don't limit possessions quite as harshly as some of these other teams. So it's not quite as obvious how efficient they are defensively because the teams are still scoring, you know, some points, but that's also because Kansas can, can get out every now and then and you can speed up the game a little bit, but they're still going to defend. Um, one team, and, and this is kind of a, a question I don't know. I don't even know where I would go because everybody is so inconsistent this year. As uh, as Riggs said on ACCBR a few months ago, everybody sucks. But is, is there a team out there for you guys that maybe no one's kind of looking at that you think could have uh, a national title type ceiling? Brian, I'll go back to you first. My team is Oregon. Um, they're probably not good enough defensively and have been inconsistent shooting the ball. Um, but offensively, when they're on, they're as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty deep. They have the potential defensively to lock you down. They just don't necessarily play that way all the time. And, of course, Peyton Pritchard is up there with, with the very best guards, very best players in the country. So if there was a team that's sort of off the radar, for me it would be Oregon. And they're probably in line for a four. Might end up with a three seed. 
Uh, but they're just a team I don't hear talk about very much, but I think has very real national championship potential. Again, should they pick up the pace or pick up their play defensively? Yeah, I think as long as Will Richardson plays well, they have a chance to beat anybody in the nation. Um, I know... At, at, before the season, you were high on Seton Hall to make the Final Four, and as recently as probably four to six weeks ago, you were picking Maryland to win the national title. Have you come off of either one of those teams, or are you still thinking that's a possibility for each of them? Seton Hall is going to depend on which region they get placed in, mm-hmm. because I, I think they would match up really well with a team like Kansas. Just with their size inside, I think they would be able to limit Azubuki's impact as much as anybody could. And in that scenario, I could see them getting through to a Final Four. This would end up with in a, a region with Dayton uh, or kind of a smaller, really efficient offensive team. I just don't think they're they're built for that. And we saw that this week specifically uh, against Villanova and Creighton, both smaller, perimeter-oriented teams that sort of had their way and neutralized Seton Hall's size advantage they have inside. Maryland, I'm still high on. I've cooled on them a little bit. Uh, given some of their recent struggles. I kind of got back on the bandwagon a bit with the Michigan game. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, maybe I just can't quit them. <laughs> I am interested to see how they play in the Big Ten tournament on a neutral court because of how hot and cold everybody in that conference has been based on whether their game is home or away. So I, I think it'll be good to get some data points on them on a neutral court. And one thing that is worth noting with them that I uh, have come across, uh, Anthony Cowan. When he has at least four assists in a game, Maryland's 19-1. and one. Nice. And so he's sort of the key for them, and I think if we see him play at a high level in the Big Ten tournament, they, they can win the whole thing. Connor, I'm going to assume that you have a West Coast team in mind, and based on conversations we've had off the air, that team is not going to be Arizona. Who do you have as a, a potential dark horse for a national title? Yeah, no, definitely not Arizona. Um, they They are not... They are not good at all. Um, they they have the talent, which wins them some games against the teams that they should be beating. But if you, you get them in a close game or you get them against a good team, uh, they, they kind of fold. So it wouldn't be Arizona. My team's actually not a West Coast team. I think the team that doesn't get talked about enough is Villanova right now. They, they've won seven of their last eight. Um, they went through a rough stretch. But some of their wins, I mean, they beat Kansas at home. They went to Seton Hall, beat Seton Hall. They went to Creighton and beat Creighton. So they've shown the ability to beat some of the best teams in the country um, at home and on the road. And, uh, you know, they have one of the the most accomplished coaches in the country. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes down to a a season where the difference between the top and and probably the 15th, 16th best team in the country isn't as great as it it has been in, in years past, a coaching can make a big difference, and Jay Wright can have Villanova competing for a title. Do I think they win it? Probably not, but they're one of those teams that, because of the way Seton Hall's been playing, because of the way Creighton's been playing, hasn't been talked about, even though they tied with both Creighton and Seton Hall uh, for the Big East regular season championship. Yeah, you know, one of the stats that I come across when I was doing a, uh, a betting you know, preview for, for one of the online sites this week was uh, Arizona 3-7 and seven in games decided by five points or less. So, you know, that, that inexperience really showing through in, in their games this year. Um, I want to jump... And, and one of those games, one of those games was against Pepperdine, yeah. uh, where Pepperdine scored like 92 points, 
all by their starters. That's right. Pepperdine's bench did not have a single point. They won by one point, like ninety three to ninety two. So yeah, they they they've struggled. Yeah, there's uh you know and you know the team has NBA talent on it, but it's young NBA talent, and you know at some point things become trends, and Sean Miller's track record in March is a trend at this point. And until he proves otherwise, I think it's, it's, it's safe to go ahead and fade Arizona. Um, I want to jump into the ACC real quick. Uh, you know, just a few quick questions for you guys. You know, I'm a G tech guy. Everybody knows it. Unfortunately, uh, long suffering Georgia tech fan. Um, this year, 11 and nine in conference, the first, uh, season above 500 they've had since 2004, which is incredible. Um, they finish fifth overall, sole possession of fifth place after they decide to drop their appeal, which means they will sit out the ACC tournament as well as any potential um, invitational tournament in the postseason. Do you guys think that's the correct decision? Brian, I'll go to you first. I do. And I know it's a tough pill to swallow, but the Old Jackets are going to have pretty much all of that core group coming back for next season. Mm-hmm. And the risky run if you try and play through this year with the appeal is. Uh, you still having the ruling upheld, and then you're ineligible next postseason. Mm-hmm. And I think Georgia Tech wasn't making the NCAA that large. He's going to have to run the table. And while they were in a good position in fifth in the ACC tournament, um, and certainly they're not being any real, I don't think, elite teams in the ACC, could you see a world in which they made a run and won the automatic bid? Yeah, of course. No, But it would be a long shot. I think if you go to Tech, you bite the bullet now on that long shot and sort of go ahead and shift your focus towards next year, which could be sort of that, that breakout year. Connor, is, is what they have returning going to be enough for them to possibly make the postseason next year? I think so. Um, you know, the way they, they finished this season uh, surprised me. It was, it was pretty impressive. And I know that the bottom of the ACC has been down from years past, but you know, they, they're, they're returning talent next year um, should put them at least in the top half of the ACC, if not higher, and, and really biting that bullet and taking the postseason uh, ban this year um, is the right decision. The, dis- the distance between Georgia Tech and Duke, which is the fourth-best team, or the fourth-place team, I should say, in the ACC, is so large that their chances of winning the ACC tournament were very slim, and their chances of getting into the NCAA tournament without uh, winning a game or two in the ACC tournament um, against the Dukes and Florida States of the of the conference were next to none. Yeah. So I, I think it was the right decision for them so that they could set themselves up to dance next year. Connor, I'll stay with you. Um, ACC tournament starts tomorrow. No team has ever won the ACC tournament since they expanded no team that has ever played on the first day has ever won the, uh, the ACC tournament since they expanded. UNC, I think everyone would agree, maybe has the talent in Cole Anthony. Garrison Brooks has been fantastic. Baycott, Brandon Robinson, always healthy. What's the likelihood that North Carolina can get this done? Um, it's not a zero percent chance. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't know how much Cole Anthony actually improves North Carolina. I know they're better with him than they are without him, but I still don't think they are a team that could win the ACC tournament with Cole Anthony on the roster. So do I think they win a game or two? Absolutely. I think that they're, they're talented enough to do that. Um, and the ACC tournament, 
uh, is, is the place where they would do that. But, you know, with him versus without him, you know, people are going to make that argument. He's back. So they, they're going to have a shot to win the ACC tournament. I, I just I just don't see that happening. I, I think it's become clear in, in recent weeks. I think as, uh, you know, Brooks and Anthony didn't look like they were on the same page early in the season. Uh, Baycott was kind of playing as a freshman, inconsistent, I guess. Uh, North Carolina is at their best, I think, when they play through Brooks instead of Anthony dribbling the ball into the ground. Brian, is that is that what you're seeing as well, or do you have a different take on that? Yeah, and we saw the last two weeks, as you mentioned, they had that three-game winning streak before going on the road losing to Duke, which there's no shame in doing, right? And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. The Virginia Tech game, which they opened with Tuesday, is going to be a good chance for them to kind of get back to the way they were playing during those three previous games. If you're a UNC fan, you look at the path ahead of you, and you can certainly talk yourself into a long run, right? Because you would play Virginia Tech, who has won like three games since the middle of January. Mm-hmm. Then if you win that, you're playing Syracuse, who they just beat pretty handily by double digits. Then you get to a Louisville team that I believe has only won like four of the last nine or three of the last seven games or, or something like that. Then uh, a likely semifinal matchup would be against Virginia, who may not be able to score enough to beat you. If you get a championship game and you get a rematch against Duke, which UNC fans are not going to want that, right? <laughs> so I think the path ahead of them has caused some UNC fans to maybe get a little bit ahead of themselves. I think the road is certainly there for them to win those two games, kind of with what they have. But from what we've seen this year, I mean, they're, they're last place for a reason. But it wasn't just Cole Anthony's injury. They struggled to score. Mm-hmm. They struggled to defend. They're, they're just not that good. On paper, it's there, and we've seen them kind of put a little bit of it together. But they have more weaknesses, and I think a lot of people – realize or willing to to kind of put on them and i think we'll see those should they get to a quarter quarterfinal game against louisville yeah i believe that to be true that'll be interesting because like you said louisville hasn't been playing great either um yeah i'll stay with you on this are, are you an nc state graduate are you an alum no i uh, south carolina alum. oh okay i just I, I knew that you went to some state games i didn't know if maybe you were you were an alum um they have, I would say, the best opportunity to be a fifth team from the ACC, um, you know, represented in this in this NCAA tournament. Uh, speaking to Haslam, speaking to Rocco Miller last week, both not real high on this team. They've kind of been on everybody's list as far as last four in or last four out, you know, kind of alternating between what some other teams are doing um, on the court. What do you think NC State has to do in order to solidify themselves as an NCAA tournament team? If NC State wants to feel comfortable, they beat Duke. That that is sort of the benchmark. I think you can beat Wake Forest or Pitt, whoever wins that in, in that second round game, the first mm-hmm. game NC State to play. That's fine, but that's not going to move the needle in a positive direction. That game can only hurt you; it if you can't lose. really help you. That's right. Yeah, if they lose that game, they're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if they win that game without beating Duke. They're in the same situation where you're at the mercy of the committee, at the mercy of other bubble teams and seeing what happens elsewhere around the country. But if they were to beat Duke, you can erase all doubt and put them in. Connor, what is your impression of NC State and their opportunity to make the NCAA tournament? Do you think if if they come out and they beat that, you know, that first round game, whether it be Wake or whether it be Pittsburgh, and maybe they play Duke tough 
is that going to be enough? Or are they still going to be heavily heavily reliant on on everything that's going on around the nation? Yeah, I think if they beat Duke, they should be in. At that point, they'd be what twenty? Uh, they'd have twenty one and thirteen, mm-hmm. I, I believe, would be their record with wins over Duke, Wisconsin, uh, Virginia. Um, if they lose to Duke, tough. I think that they will be reliant on uh, teams on the bubble either losing early, some of those American teams um, or Pac-12 teams losing early in the tournament in their conference tournaments uh, for them to get in. I think they need that that Duke win to add that fourth um, kind of big win to their resume uh, to feel safe about getting in. I don't think that they're out of the water if they lose to Duke. Um, but I, but I do think that that Duke win will be what solidifies their spot in the NCAA tournament. I want to talk about maybe the hottest team, actually the hottest team, um, in, in the ACC in Virginia, um, nine and one in their last 10 heading into the ACC tournament. I cannot remember off the top of my head what their number, I think it was seven to one to win the ACC tournament. This may be the only team in the league that's actually playing their best basketball heading into the tournament. Um, is Virginia a team that if you were going to place a wager that you would take that chance on, Connor? I have Virginia winning the ACC tournament uh, on my Jerome submission. So I would definitely be willing to play. Can you, am I breaking up? No, no, no. You're good. I just said, wow. I, I didn't oh. know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start over. No, no, you're, um, good. you're good. Yeah, you're good. so I... Okay, cool. I, uh, I, no, I, I have Virginia winning. Um, just because I don't trust Duke to beat bad teams, and so I, I didn't really trust them to, to make it uh, to, to win the, the tournament. Um, Florida State, I, I think, will struggle against Virginia, and, and, and as Brian mentioned earlier, Louisville has not been playing their best basketball um, over the last month. So when you're looking at who's playing their best basketball, who has the the ability to win those games, I think Virginia, for me, was probably the safest bet uh, to win that tournament. Brian, do you share Connor's confidence in the in the Wahoos? I share his confidence in terms of saying they're worth a bet and could very easily win the whole thing. Um, I am more in the mindset of I think their offense will let them down at some point of the three games they would have to, to play to win the whole thing. Um I think that might happen against Louisville just because you get into a situation where you know you're playing multiple games, multiple days. Your legs kind of go a little bit for a team that already struggles to shoot. That's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, they do some. They are elite defensively, and in a year like this in the ACC, when nobody does anything at an elite level, being able to do that at an elite level gives them a chance. And we've seen that play out, so I'm certainly not writing them off. Um, I would go a different direction, but it wouldn't be, you know, it w- certainly wouldn't be a huge surprise. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay with you, Brian, um, for this next one. I am of the opinion that it's going to be a rough tournament for the ACC. Um, I know Florida State won the league. I've been high on Florida State. I love their backcourt. Love their defense. I love Patrick Williams. He's a lottery pick at some point whenever he decides to come out. But Florida State is not without their flaws. Um, Duke, you know, they can win against anybody in the nation when Cassius Stanley is their number three guy, and he, he's giving them points from the wing. Um, Louisville, if Jordan War struggles, they struggle. They can be beaten by anybody, and obviously Virginia has trouble on offense. 
I don't particularly trust any of these teams going into the NCAA tournament. Is there any one of the of the four teams that that you're looking at to go deep into this tournament? No, uh, Virginia can't score. Louisville's really struggling of late and hasn't played their best against the better competition they've played. Uh, Duke, uh, we've talked about a lot on our podcast, and I've written a lot about it as well. I don't trust their half court offense. And defensively is where they should be elite. Mm-hmm. And they've been very hit or miss over the past month. I don't trust them to win six games in a row against competition you're going to have to play. Which leaves Florida State. I know Florida State has probably been the most solid of the teams this year. It's why they won the regular season title. But I, I also think Florida State's a little bit overrated. They have the two wins over Louisville. But other than that, their best win is over... Florida mm-hmm. or Purdue or a fully healthy Tennessee team, who knows how good they could have been. But none of those wins look great right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other tournament caliber teams that, that they played this year, they lost Indiana by 16, and Indiana is a double team now, given it was on the road. But that's a, a, a blowout loss. They did beat Virginia, so I guess that's their second best win. Back when Virginia was really struggling in mid January before they sort of turned it on here. Um, but then they went and lost Virginia by five a couple weeks later. Um, you know, they had that loss to Duke, and they lost some games like the Clemson loss that just kind of make you scratch your head a little bit. And, and they played in a lot of games that are closer than they should be against much lesser teams. So I think Florida State's team you can rely on to maybe win a game or two, probably because they're going to get it depending on uh, the matchups they get there as, as a projected two seed in the NCAA tournament. But I don't think they have what it takes to, to get to a Final Four, maybe even an Elite Eight. Connor, is there anybody in this league that you like to make a deep run? Uh, I'm going to echo what Brian said. I, I don't trust any of these teams to make a deep run. Um, but for me, Florida State's probably the one team that I have the most confidence in, uh, simply because outside of that 16-point loss to Indiana, every other game they've lost, while they haven't necessarily been to the best teams, you know, they lost to Pitt, um, and and Clemson uh, have been close. Mm-hmm. So they've at least put themselves in position outside of that Indiana loss to win every game they've played this year, which is not something that you can say about any other team in the ACC. So if I were to say that, if, if you were to tell me that one ACC team makes the run to an Elite Eight or a Final Four, I would probably think it would be Florida State. Um, but at the same time, I don't trust them uh any more than I do the other three or four teams that'll make the NCAA tournament out of the conference. Oh no. Did I just fuck that up? Um, all right. What I'm going to do guys real quick. No, I didn't. Okay, good. Um, what I'm going to do real quick guys is I'm going to go over the, the ACC awards were released today by the ACC. Um, first team, second team, honorable mention, all that stuff. ACC player of the year, freshman of the year. Was you know I released mine today as well about thirty seconds after these came out. Um, I, I don't have a problem with the first team. In fact, I have the exact same five uh, on the first team. Do do you guys have? I, I'll go to Brian first. Brian, do you have any issues with any of the team selections that were released by the ACC today? I do not. The only issue that I have was Vernon Carey not being named Player of the Year, not even being eligible to win a player of the year because Duke didn't nominate it. Mm-hmm. I think it was very clear with the voting that the most first-team vote that anybody, so kind of de facto tells you he would have been the player of the year had people been able to vote for him. 
and they weren't because Duke nominated Trey Jones. And Trey Jones is a great player, certainly worthy of a first-team selection, uh, but he's not the best player on his own team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back at the season 10 years from now, I was going to see Trey Jones uh, as player of the year, but Vernon Carey was the best player in the conference this year and should have been rewarded as such. Connor, any issues with you as far as the team selections? Um, the only difference that I would probably have is I would probably have Devin Vassell over uh, John Mooney for that first team selection. I'm not on the John Mooney train personally, um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, I think that the 15 names that they selected for the three teams were probably the right guys to select. Uh, and my only switch would probably be that uh, Vassell over John Mooney. But it, it seemed pretty spot on. I do agree with Brian that Vernon Carey is the best player uh, on Duke, and so he should have been nominated. But um, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I liked Alvarado uh, on the third team, but I thought DeVoe was better more consistently, I guess. So I thought that he would have been there. I would have took Moses Wright over Amir Sims, but I think that's pretty much splitting hairs. They basically mirrored each other's statistics, but Georgia Tech was obviously better than Clemson. So one thing I did like that I will say as far as the 15 guys selected is I'm glad that the coaches recognized Wake Forest center Olivier Saar, who had maybe one of the most overlooked uh, and productive seasons in the ACC for Wake Forest. I, I, I thought that he played extraordinary all season long. Um, ACC Player of the Year, Brian touched on, um, Trey Jones wins, Vernon Carey was better, Connor, was there any commentary you had on that? No, I just, I just think that Duke, win or lose, Vernon Carey always seems to be the guy that performs the best for Duke, Mm -hmm. um, and so, Trey Jones was excellent, he's, he's their, their leader, um, if you want to call him their seasoned veteran, you can. Uh, but Vernon Carey, even when the, he, Vernon Carey really didn't falter much this season um, for Duke. And so I, I think that he was probably the better choice for them to nominate. But then looking at the awards, Vernon, they probably, they probably wanted to, I guess, share the love. Trey Jones wins player of the year. Vernon Carey wins freshman of the year. So everyone's happy. Um, difference I had on my all freshman team was I had uh, Justin Champagny um, on, on the freshman team instead of Cassius Stanley. Other than that, uh, our teams are exactly the same. Who would you guys give the edge to when comparing those two players? Brian, I'll go to you first. That's a tough one. I, I would probably go with Stanley because I think he had a bigger impact on a better team. Um, but it is one of those things you could flip a coin and make a case either way. Connor? Yeah, for me, I think Stanley had a huge impact for Duke. Um, but I understand the concerns. He wasn't necessarily the most consistent player for Duke, and so uh, he, he probably would have uh, he probably would have been my fifth guy um, on there instead of Patrick. Patrick Williams, I think, had the fifth most votes. Mm-hmm. Cassius Stanley was fourth. I, I I would probably have Patrick Williams on there a little bit more safely than than Stanley, but I don't really have an issue with Stanley being on there. Uh, Coach of the Year, Leonard Hamilton, uh, overwhelmingly with uh, with 62 of the 75 votes. Tony Bennett comes in second. Uh, I also gave the award to Hamilton, but I think that this year was, was probably Tony Bennett's best coaching season given the roster that he had. I don't know if anybody else in this league you know, 
comes in second or tied for second in the ACC with this particular roster. Would either one of you guys have given this uh, given this award to Bennett, Connor? I would have. Yeah. Um, and I and I know you didn't have Virginia in your top twenty five to start the year. Nope. I was pretty close to not having them in my top twenty five, and and I think people had them relatively high uh, on their on their polls just because they were coming off a national championship and and because of Tony Bennett. But if you look at where they probably should have been ranked compared to where what they're doing the end of the season, um, I think it, it is his best coaching job. But with Florida State being a top-five team, I don't really think that there's an argument against Leonard Hamilton either, and it's just your personal preference on what you look for in a coach of the year. Is it the coach who had the, did the best coaching job in terms of where his team is at or the coach that exceeded reasonable expectations um by the most by the largest margin yeah i mean we're gonna do we're gonna do our final top 25 on the rock and 25 this week and virginia's gonna be 16 to 19 for me somewhere in that region and i think a lot of that is due to basically you know tom jesus Tomas Walden-Tensai has kind of find his his role as that deep threat. He's starting to come around a little bit. And they're basically one of the most consistent teams in the nation, along with Kansas at this point. Um, Brian, would you have gone with Bennett or Hamilton or maybe a different way? I'm kind of in the same boat as Connor because I don't think any other coach in the country could do with Virginia this year what Tony Bennett did. Mm-hmm. And I think he should be rewarded for that. At the same time, this is Florida State's first ever ACC championship, first ever conference championship for them since 1989, I believe. The Metro. Um, yeah, so you, you can't, you know, knock Leonard Hamilton for doing something historic, right? right. Uh, you know, it's a matter of preference. I have no problem with Leonard Hamilton getting it. I would have had no problem with Tony Bennett were to get it. So, you know, as long as he went to one of those two, those two guys, which he did, I don't, I don't have any real problems. Uh, defensive player of the year, we already talked about. Uh, most improved player went to Garrison Brooks, uh, edging out Saar and Vassell by one point. I had Vassell as the most improved player. I, I don't have an issue with Brooks winning it, though. I thought Brooks was certainly very good last year in, in a supporting role. Um, would either one of you have gone a different way, Brian? I probably would have gone with Vassell. I, I think Brooks simply had the role he had by default, and he certainly played incredibly well, but Vassell ended up becoming the best player on the best team in the conference, so nobody sort of expected that coming into the season. And I think that should have been reward. Not that Brooks had a bad year. I just think, you know, being the best player on the best team, anyone expected to be, should have been enough to get him, get Vassell the award. Yeah, I think, you know, Jordan, uh, Jordan, uh, Jonathan Warner probably would say that he expected Devin Vassell to be the best player in the country. He's been driving that train since about September. So shout out to JW. Uh, Connor, any, uh, any, any comments with the MIP? Yeah, for me, it comes down to, I think Vassell's improvement on the court was probably a little bit better, um, a little bit wider of a margin, I guess, than Garrison Brooks. But the opportunity that the absence of Cole Anthony left open for Brooks to kind of take that spot and then keep it once Anthony got back. Um, I think, uh, you know, probably pushed him over the edge. But if I'm looking on straight improvement on the court, regardless of opportunities or circumstances, uh, I, I think that Devin Vassell is, is a little bit better um, than Garrison Brooks. 
And final award was six man of the year. I I said Patrick Williams. The ACC coaches said Patrick, or writers, I should say, said Patrick Williams. Um, I will add that Dane Goodwin was third on the list. So once again in the preseason, I was correct, and I'll pat myself on the back for that. And Isaiah Wong finished fourth, which he's really come along uh, in the second half of the season. He's going to be a weapon for this Miami team moving forward. Connor, was there any other way you would have went or anybody else that maybe you would have added? No, I, I think Patrick Williams is probably the right choice, yeah. um, especially kind of establishing himself as Florida State's true sixth man, uh, given the amount of depth they have on the bench. And so it's not like he's competing with three or four guys to, to, to establish that. I mean, he's competing with a pretty deep bench um, to do so. And, and Florida State obviously finished first in the conference, so I, I don't have an issue with, with him winning it. Yeah, the biggest thing that I noticed when I was kind of going through some teams and, and looking at you know potential candidates starting a couple of weeks ago was that you know we've talked about it consistently on today's show is there's not a lot of depth on the bench for a lot of these teams in the nation and you look at the ACC teams there's not a lot of depth on on much of these benches outside of these four game these four guys that are mentioned here uh, you know Brian is there anybody else out there that we may have missed as far as looking at, at who would have been worthy of this award. No, I think there are guys worth a mention who are worth votes uh, that got that, right? But I think in terms of winning the award, having a actual legitimate case to win, uh, Patrick Williams is the only way to go. Guys, I appreciate you taking the time. I know we went a little bit longer than we typically do, and I appreciate your patience. Um, Connor, anything else you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? No, I, I just think that it's, it's going to be a very um, interesting week. Uh, especially in those high-major conferences where I think outside of the Big 12 and possibly the Pac-12, um, teams that may be the best or the most equipped to win are not going to be the teams that are in the, the number one seed spot. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. And I, I'm, I'm expecting um, kind of a pretty straightforward bubble, which, which is crazy considering how wide people were saying that the bubble was going to be by the end of the season. There's really only seven, maybe eight teams competing for like three slots in the NCAA tournament now. Yeah, I expected the bubble to be huge this year, um, and, and it's not turning out to be that way because it seemed like towards the end of the season, nobody wanted it enough to actually win games. So, uh, Brian, anything else to add before we get out of here? No, and well, I kind of agree with Connor about the bubble. Another thing, I, I think a lot of us were expecting sub-invaders to kind of come in and make some longer runs or Cinderella runs this year, but I look around and maybe East Tennessee State or, or Utah State is the only major outside of the, the top three, Dayton, Gonzaga, San Diego State, that really has the potential to win more than one game. Like, I, I think if we see a Cinderella run this year, it's going to be from a power conference team that was given a kind of, you know, a middling seed, like when UConn made those runs yep. at seven seeds. Um, I think that would be the place where we would see a Cinderella this year as opposed to a mid-major making an infected run. Guys, I appreciate you taking the time. We went 70, mm-hmm. 70 minutes tonight, which I know is longer than we typically do. So I'll let you go. I appreciate you guys taking the time, and uh, I'll talk to you again real soon, I'm sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, guys. Have a good night. You too. 
All right, that was Brian Ralph, Connor Hope, the Bustin' Brackets co-hosts. Um, again, one of my favorite podcasts to actually go on. If you guys listen to the show or listen to their show often when I've been on there, I, I, I've openly said that. I love doing that show. Those guys can speak uh, intelligently about a multitude of subjects when it comes to college basketball. And that's those are the conversations that I like to be involved in. So, you know, they don't necessarily share my opinion on a lot of issues, but I respect their opinions and they make excellent arguments for their opinions. Um, I apologize for some of the audio. I was... You know, sometimes we go three wide on the phone. You know, Connor's on the West Coast. Brian's literally right down the road. But, you know, it's difficult for me with them, with us going all on one line uh, to, to adjust the settings on the soundboard appropriately. So so Connor may come across a little bit strong. Brian's a little bit softer. So you may have had to uh, adjust the volume constantly during that podcast. But those things happen. I still think the podcast was informative and I really enjoyed doing it. We went a little bit longer than I typically do, but it, it was worth it just to get the information out there. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, last thing before we sign off, uh, don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast, get the word out. Um, let's Let's make this a little bit bigger of an audience if we could that would be much appreciated on my end especially um uh, i guess a little bit of an announcement we're going to put out my final top 25 of the season this week on twitter at acbr1 i will or i am putting together what i hope to be a bracket show depending on how my day job goes uh that will include you know possibly both brian and connor um, as well as some regional experts, Blake Lavelle of, of SEC Country, uh, Jim Root is going to come on and hopefully do some uh, some wagering, some betting, some best bets uh, from around the from around the, the tournament. And just a, just a bunch of guys that I've met over the years that they're going to come in and, and give us you know their takes on on what we should expect going into the tournament. I'll try to be as formative for you guys as I possibly can be. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to try to firm that up this week with the guys that I've talked to. And I will tweet that out as well. Again, at ACCBR1, check out my topics and rankings and podcasts and everything else at accbasketballreport.com. Any questions, concerns, things like that, feel free to hit me up, accbasketballreport at gmail.com. I appreciate all you guys taking the time to listen, visit the website, and all your you know conversations that we're able to have on Twitter. I will see you after Selection Sunday. Later.